0: Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we can come to you and approach your throne in worship and adoration. We can thank you that we can make our petitions known unto you and that you hear us and you see us. So, Lord, we just ask that you would just be in the midst today and that you would speak. Give us ears to hear your words. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Well, several weeks ago, uh, actually in February, we spoke on that, the fact that God is love. And we went through, we talked about all the things that love is. Love is patient, love is kind, love is, has self-control, does not follow, pursue its own goals. and It bears all things, my favorite verse. It hopes all things and it endures all things. It gives us the benefit of the doubt. And then in the end, the conclusion was all these things that we talked about, the fact of the attributes of love. And the great thing is, through all that, we know that God is love. So all those things that love is, we know that we can attribute to God as well. And I'm grateful for that. And he embodies those. But this time we're going to talk about something that's a little... On the other side of that, you know, you've heard of the expression, there's a love-hate relationship. Well, there's some things that, in Scripture, that the Lord despises. We're going to take a look at one specifically today. I raised my kids, and I was raised not to use the word hate. You hate something, I hate them, or whatever. But it's very clear here that the Lord does despise some things. So let's take a look at the one today we choose to focus on. The, one, the main thing is that God hates idolatry. So let's find out why and what that means and why we're even subject to it. So we were created in the image of God, and we were created to worship. We're as beings. We were created, the Lord created in us a desire and a need to worship something. Now, his desire for us and knowing our best is that we worship him with our entire lives. A couple years ago, we talked about worship as a lifestyle. but The Lord desires us to worship him, but unfortunately, too many times, even inside the church, we worship far too many other things. There's a guy named J.I. Packer. He's a professor of theology at Regent University. Some 60 years ago, he says this. I thought it was important. It is impossible to worship nothing. We as humans are worshiping creatures. If we do not worship the God who made us, we will inevitably worship someone or something Else. So let's start in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 44. I love reading through the Old Testament and I love the the history of it. And You see here, over and over and over in these prophets, how the children of Israel have fallen into some type of sin and fallen away from the God who has delivered them. And it used to really frustrate me that, come on, how how is it that you guys are like this? But... Really, I think Israel is just a picture of who we are today. I mean, how the church even, and we as a nation, do not honor the Lord at times. So we see here in chapter 4, or excuse me, 44, verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts in the book of Jeremiah, The God of Israel, you have seen all the calamity that I have brought unto Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah. And, behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them. Because of their wickedness, which they have committed, to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and serve other gods whom they did not know, they nor you nor your fathers. However, I have sent you to all servants... The prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. The Lord hates idolatry. The Lord hates it when we raise things above him to the place where he's supposed to have in our lives. And because of this, we see here, if you read through the stories of all this, Israel experienced some... Pretty severe judgment because of their idolatry. Let's look in Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7, verse 25, the Lord gives very clear instruction here. It says, you shall burn the carved images of their gods. This is right after they have overtaken a people. Burn them, their gods, with fire, and you shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, like Achan did. Remember that story. Achan stole the silver and handed it under his tent. Nor take it for yourselves, let you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. So you think about this here. They would go in. The Lord is specifying here. He's laying out what they're supposed to do. Is they go in and they overtake all these lands, and overtake these people, these idolatrous people. So as they would go in there, there would be all these idols, many of which were made out of, of wood, and they were laid in gold and silver. And you would think, well, Lord, we can take... and and melt this gold and silver down, we can use this for your glory. Yeah, let's take let's take this oil that you're you're breaking open and, and pouring it over the feet of Jesus. We could we can actually take and put that and give to the poor, sell and give to the poor. This is the same exact rationale that they had when that exact moment when Jesus' feet were being anointed. Oh, we can take these idols and we can, we can use this. But the Lord was saying, I don't want any part of it. I don't need silver and gold. I can just dump it on you. If you can wake up in the morning, there could be a pile of gold sitting outside your door. If I chose, that was what you needed. But what it represented was here, they're taking their idols and they're trying to have the Lord bless something that is cursed. And how many times do we in our own lives today, we take something that is not of the Lord, And we try to redeem it and say, Lord, I know you don't want me to do this anymore, but let's just redeem this portion of it. Will you just bless this thing because I really do like it. Let's just be real. I know that it's not pleasing in your sight, but there's this little aspect of it that is kind of okay. So will you bless this? I'll melt it down. I'll burn all the stuff that isn't good, but they're really good things, Lord. I'll still, watch this, I'll still hold on to problem. They were trying to hold on to the remnant of what those things represented. He specifically told them to burn it all, destroy it. You know, I used to think all the time, how is it that here we have the children of Israel They saw all these things, all these miracles. Literally, they saw water split in two, not once, but twice. And they walked across. Not only did they see the waters, and standing in a wall, can you imagine? As a million people walked through, and the kids were on their wagons being pulled behind and looking at it being like, whoa. That must have been something to see. And not only that, but if you ever have been in the ocean or a lake or whatever, a lake really doesn't have tides, so it would be hard to see. So let's think about when you're at the ocean. When the, tide, the waves crash down on the sand, then it, and then the tide goes back out, what is the sand? It's wet, yes? So we have this dry sand up here where all the people are. The tide comes in, It waves crash down, but then it goes back out, and underneath it, the, the sand is all wet, right? So not only did they see this wall of water, but also they walked through on dry land. And I've said so many times that I don't care, I bearish repeating. So whether you think it was a a miracle that he parted the seas and then they walked through on dry ground, or that the guys got all stuck and caught up and, and then they couldn't get through because it was murky for them, so if it wasn't a big wall, if it was only a puddle, you know, some people naysayers say or say, oh, well, it wasn't, it wasn't very deep right there. It was only two inches deep. That's why they were able to cross. Okay, fine. What's the answer? Then the miracle is that uh, Pharaoh's entire army drowned in two inches of water. Either way, I'm cool with it. Because they were delivered no matter what that's exactly what the Lord is saying to us, is that when we face this insurmountable odds, we literally have a physical restriction right in front of us. We have some kind of pain. We have something that we need healing for. Maybe many times it's in our emotions that we can't even see. It's right in our face. It's right in front of us. There's no way that I can surpass or go past this. And I look behind me, and my enemies are chasing me. All my past... All my, uh, everything that I had, all my memories, whatever it is, the decisions that i made is chasing me. I'm trying to go this way, but I'm, I'm, it's right in my face. I can't get past this. But then I try to turn around, and here it is. All those things in my past, they're chasing me, and they're coming behind me, so I can't go back. Moses raises his hand. <laughs> There's another time when Moses raises his hand. He raised his other. The army was victorious when he had both hands raised. When he got tired, when they would start to lose. But he had those that came alongside and lifted his hands up. That's what we did here today. We came alongside one another. Maybe your hands are tired. Maybe you've been trying to do it yourself for far too long. But we're here to hold your hands up just like Aaron and Hur did for Moses. We're here to stand with you. We're here to stand beside you. We're not, you know what the expression is? uh, Back in, I don't know, maybe the 90s, Dan, I got your back, right? And we would go, I got your back, way back. you turn around, where is everyone? They've all deserted me. No, we're standing right there, right next to you, standing in faith and believing. Maybe you don't even have a faith enough for yourself what we're here for, because you know what? Next week, I'm going to need you to stand next to me. So these children of Israel, they would go in there, they would conquer these nations. Let's just say the Hittites. Whatever, Amorites, doesn't really matter which one. All theites, they would go in and they would conquer and literally take the land in which they inhabited. They would go, Jeff, into your house and say, you've got to move out, this is my house now. And then the children of Israel would start going through Jeff's stuff. Oh, wow, this is kind of cool. I like this. And they would find a little idol in his bedroom. This little little, little trinket. Wow, I think I'll start worshipping that. It was so strong and powerful that it protected them from me coming in and taking over this land, but I think I'll choose to worship it. They did. Makes sense. But I started thinking, how did that, how did that, even, make, how did that even happen? Well, I think of two things. One, time and how fickle the people were. But two, the second thing is, here we have the army that was going forward and taking over the land then we have all these people coming and inhabiting it. These people that were coming, they weren't necessarily the ones that were physically there during the battle. Yes? So maybe the whole victory, though it was cool, wasn't really registering. or They didn't identify with it as much. So they just come in and inhabit these homes and different things and say, Oh, look at this. This is kind of cool. And they would fall and say... I want to hang on to the little portion of this. And the issue is it's the lapse of the time. Remember that. We all agree that Satan was defeated at the cross, yes? Defeated, finished. Jesus said, so we're praying with one person today, it is finished. He didn't say, I have more to do, P.S., I'll be back. He didn't say, I did half the work, I'm going to go lay down and take a nap, and maybe I might think about doing it later. No, he said it's finished. His work was done. What he set, was sent to do was completed to the fullest. Not halfway, to the fullest of all that he had. He completed it. Let's go to Leviticus. Another one of my favorite verses. Chapter twenty. We spoke a couple weeks back and on Wednesday about raising a righteous standard. Leviticus twenty, verse twenty-six. Verse twenty six says, and you shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy. And have separated you from the people's. Why? That you should be whose? Mine. We should sing a song on this verse. He shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy. King James, I believe, says, And I have severed you from all the people, that you should be mine. We're separated were to be holy unto the Lord. That's what was graven on the, the forehead of the priest. Yes, holiness unto the Lord. We're kings and priests. We just learned about that recently. Sister Gladale shared on that. Joshua and his armies would go out and destroy these nations and take over their land. But the common folk, though they reaped the benefit of the conquest, were not there to participate in the victory. We talked about that a little bit. They did not participate. They were not there. They did not physically taste of the thrill of the victory. And because of that, it began to wear off. Now, you already told me that Satan was defeated at the cross. You agreed to that. There wasn't anybody here in the room that disagreed with that. And if you did, you were silent. So we have to be careful that the thrill of the victory of the cross does not wear off. And we, too, adopt the patterns and actions of this world. Imagine the moment, the day, the week, the month, right after you accepted the Lord. Imagine that feeling. I've heard so many people say, it feels like somebody put a hose on the top of my head and just washed all the grime out of my life. Beautiful description. But that feeling, sometimes, many of us in the room have been saved for decades. We accepted the Lord decades ago. So as that time, as we get further and further away, is the victory of the cross starting to wear off that feeling that we had experience of joy of salvation we start to forget and start to adopt maybe the patterns of the world because next thing we do look and we're kind of far away from there how different are we Do we watch the same movies that a defeated fallen world does and then ask the Lord to bless it? I, I know you say, well, come on. You're talking idols and movies. How can they necessarily be brought together? But my point is is taking something that we know is not ordained by the Lord consuming it And then asking the Lord to bless it. Listen to how Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York, how he defines an idol. It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, seek to give you what only God can give. Let me do that one again. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give. It is whatever you look at and say in your heart, if I have that, then I feel I'll have meaning in my life. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. An idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Wow. That's quite a definition. You know, I use movies, and we're going to talk about some other things, but I I use that because of a couple reasons. One, something we enjoy, and independently of themselves, they're not sinful. I, I do see movies. Trust me. But our choices... We have to be careful what we're choosing to watch, what we allow in our eye gate. Spectrum, I don't know. I used to, I've had Bright House cable forever and ever. And recently, Spectrum came in, and I'm seeing commercials about them all the time, stuff like that. So I don't know if they're taking over the cable world or whatever, but it's the only option that I have. But if Spectrum, can they, in their headquarters, can they distinguish? the digital downloads that you have compared to your neighbor. If they were to look at your bill, would they be able to tell the difference between what you order on demand or versus somebody else? Here's what I mean. So in what I do, we ha- have to have people, they have to give us their bank statements to provide proof of funds and so forth. All the time. People will send us what are called transaction histories, okay? And the difference is, it has transaction history is very complete because it has every literally what it says, every transaction you've ever had. It shows your balance going up and down, blah blah blah, deposits, withdrawals. The problem is, a transaction history ha- does not have your name on it at all. So I tell people all the time, just like with the cable bill, let me it. If we were walking down the hallway, both of us... he, I have... I'm just going to pick on you again, Jeff. I have Jeff's bill in my hand. And Aiden has Jeff's neighbor, who is not born again, doesn't live a redeemed life at all. Okay, I have Jeff's bill. Aiden's got his neighbors. And, they're, and the two guys were walking down the hall, and all of a sudden, they crash into each other, and I go to pick up the bill. Thank you. He didn't have to fall down. <laughs> so I pick up the bill and doesn't have his name on it, would I be able to tell whose bill it is? Or are they identical? Are the things that he's ordering on demand the same as his neighbor, unredeemed, unsaved neighbor? Is there a distinction as to what he's allowing into his eye gate and his ear gate to those that don't know the Lord at all? Or is it very clear, when they look at the Langdonville, and I use digital downloads, you could say, you know, if you go to Blockbuster, is there even a Blockbuster open anymore? If you go to Family Video, if you go to Redbox, whatever it is, whatever movies you're going to, if somebody were to be able to track your purchases at AMC 20 or wherever, Star Theater, if they were to have a list of all those things and a list of somebody else's who doesn't know the Lord, do they match up or are they completely different? Ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And we could, could I mean, I'm not just picking up movies. We could look at internet history. Does it very clearly, distinctly show a difference from your unredeemed neighbors? The things that you're searching, the sites you're visiting, Is it clearly different? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. We'll sit down and watch a a three-and-a-half-hour movie, any of the Lord of the Rings series or Hobbit or whatever. Have no problem with it. Or we'll binge watch something on Netflix for all of a sudden you're looking and six hours have gone by. But if pastor speaks more than 45 minutes, we're like, what in the world? Are you done yet? Yeah. Are we hungry and thirsting after righteousness? If we are not distinctly different from our pre-redeemed self or our unredeemed co-workers, friends, family, then I question whether we have truly made a decision for Christ. If who you are today is not distinctly different, distinctively, excuse me, distinctively different from your B.C., right? We use the expression B.C. before Christ. If that man, Dan, I'll pick on you, my friend, because you've been saved less than a decade. If pre-Jesus, before Christ, Dan Eady is not different than who he is today, or vice versa, that's a problem. They will know us by the fruit we bear. If our thought patterns, word choices... Choice of music, TV, movies, our actions and habits are exactly as the same as the world. How are we a severed, separated people? You know, Josh talked about it last week. It was such a great, he, used, he, he uh, demonstrated what Jeff had, had mentioned with them with youth. If we are sitting there and are constantly trying to see, okay, here's the world and here's where I am, if I'm, the, if I'm constantly doing this, Just seeing how close I possibly can get before I fall over the edge. Dangerous place to be. Too many times, especially in in younger generations of Christians, we we struggle and we wrestle with establishing my worldview. And unfortunately, a lot of it hinges upon how close, how far can I go and still be scripturally okay? You shall be holy unto me. Why? For I, the Lord, am holy and I have separated you not to stand on the fence. Not to figure out how far I possibly can go. Let's think about this in terms of your children, grandchildren, whatever you have. Do you want them to constantly be right here on the edge of obedience and and what you've asked them to do and not do? Of course not. You want them to internalize those rules, not because they're going to fear they're going to get in trouble, because they know it's in their best interest, and they're going to stay as far away as they possibly can from that line and walk where they're supposed to be. Are we the children of the Lord? Is it any different? Does he even love us more than we love our own children, if that's even possible? Absolutely is the answer. What's the problem with an idol? What happens with an idol is we place our desire for these things above our desire to follow Christ. That's when we know it's an idol in our life. If whatever it is, when you wake up in your morning, there's your, first, your passion. When you wake up in the morning That is when your passion is exposed. You have no inhibition when you first wake up. Some people might even be a little bit on the mean side right when they wake up. Some people are bright-eyed and ready to go and be cheery in the morning right when they wake up. But what is your passion when you wake up? Is your first thing I got to do is what's happened on Facebook in the last eight hours? Or do you say, thank you, Lord, that you gave me another day? Thank you, Lord. I want to seek an opportunity today to have an encounter, a divine encounter with somebody else. Lord, guide me today. Direct me. Help me to see with your eyes right into the heart of these people. Or do we need to check ESPN and see who won the basketball game because they start at 9 o'clock and nobody can stay up that late? That was supposed to be funny. Here's a problem with an idol. It makes false statements about God, and it damages His image in us. That's what I feel is globally well, I would just say the American church in general, why we are in the position that we are right now is because our image of God is diminished. We don't revere him as holy. Right. We don't exalt him as victorious. We don't worship him as king. We worship the God of what can I get out of it? How does it make me feel? Right. And last time I checked, this whole story of salvation has nothing to do with us. Nothing. We just reap the benefits of his victory and the work that he's done. When we pursue idols, we pursue things that can never satisfy. Here's what I want you to hear, all of it. But idols will never satisfy you. And we stop pursuing the one and only thing, the one and only one, that can bring full and permanent satisfaction. That's what an idol does. It will lie to you and tell you that you will be fulfilled if you have me. We're going to get into some things here in just a moment. Everything in the world will disappoint you and in the end will leave you feeling empty. Kids, hear that. All the promises that the world has for you. All the things that it tells you, here's the next thing, here's the best thing. They will leave you feeling empty. We see in Exodus 20, the first three commandments address how we're to love, honor, and give our devotion to the Lord and only. You shall have no other God before me. You shall have no other idol above me. That's what that's saying. Let's turn to Exodus thirty-two. We're gonna be looking at this a little more closely two weeks from today. I asked the Lord, I was like, you know, Lord. With Pastor being gone for several weeks, you're gonna to have to help me and normally I have lots of weeks to prepare and have to do back to back to back to back to back here. And the Lord was good this week. I got my Father's Day message and next week's already in the process of preparing for this, so that was really cool. Sister Frida was supposed to speak the last Sunday of the month. I said, If you didn't want to do it, you'd have to go that extreme. <laughs> Just tell me you didn't want to speak. Yeah. But in Exodus 32, we see here, and the story here is where Moses has ascended up into the mountain, and the Lord is speaking to him. This is, where, like I said, for sake of later weeks, we're not going to get in too heavy into this, but I do want to point out something here. It says, in verse 1 of chapter 32 in the book of Exodus, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed. He delayed. How long was Moses up there? Does anybody know? 40 days, 40 days, not 40, 40 days, he delayed. Now, mind you, this is the same people that were delivered. This is in the book of Exodus. This is accounting the Exodus from Egypt, taking them to the point where they can get into the promised land. That's what this whole book is about. That's why it's called that. The exodus of the people, taking them out, taking them away from the world, drawing them out of sin. And all that Egypt represented, bondage. Their exodus. Moses delayed. Forty days he was gone. Now I'm never going to tell you that you have to be in church every week. Things come up. Go on vacation, family's in town, Whatever. People are sick. Kids are this. However, I do know that when there is a delay of your attendance, and most importantly, your devotion, personal devotion, these types of things can happen. So what happened after he delayed? They decided, hey, Aaron, hey, Aaron, do you make something for us so we can worship? We need something to worship. Why? Because we are created to be worshipers. So Moses is gone and he's the one that communicates with God. We can't possibly do that. So we need something to worship. Now Aaron's response I'm a little disappointed in, but we're going to get to that. But here they were. They were craving something to worship. And church attendance is not the key to everything. But I'm sure I'll tell you what, it is helpful. Being in church doesn't make you just as much as being in church doesn't make you a Christian as being in a garage doesn't make you a car. So if I go stand in my garage for two hours every Sunday, stand there, sit down, whatever I'm going to do, I'm never going to turn into a car. So my point is not saying oh you have to be in church because that's just the only thing you need, but it does encourage one another when we hear the word. It does come does something when we come together and we worship as one body. We're encouraged. We hear from the Lord. What the Lord is speaking through pastor and the others that stand behind this pulpit. So I encourage you to take advantage of the opportunities, not only on Sunday, but also on Wednesday. We've really had some awesome discussions lately, and I appreciate he's not here today. But um, Anthony was able to take it over last week, and, and he covered it because I had a, a work meeting that I had to attend. And that I'm actually going to be out of town on a work trip this week. He's going to take it again. He, he said, I thoroughly enjoyed that. When I asked him to do it, he said it would be an honor. We want you to be able to come together with us, so that we can share of His goodness. We can share one another. We can bring. If Sister Carol would have not have been here, I would have not known that she was going to have surgery this Thursday. So my point is, there's there's value in us coming together. There's value. So Moses delayed. So these fickle people decided they wanted something to worship. But how much how many times do we do that? We come and you've seen those memes about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? If you don't know what that is, just, just go with it. Sunday, we're all energized and charged. Yes, that was an awesome worship, awesome worship service. Pastor's word was right on point. It spoke directly to my heart. Then Monday. Still feeling good. Thank you, Lord, for our great service yesterday. But it is Monday morning. <laughs> I gotta go back to work, back to reality, back to these things. Tuesday. Thank you, Lord, for the good service on Tuesday or on Sunday. And the kids drive me crazy, and my wife, and my husband, my my mom, my dad, my this, my that. The grandkids drive me nuts. Wednesday. Thank you, Laura. Did I go to church on Sunday? What did Pastor speak on again? I don't really remember. Thursday. It's been a long week. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't go to Wednesday night service to get re energized. Friday. Now I'm starting to look around and see something else. I haven't spent any time in my daily reading and thought I'd rely solely on what pastors doing and saying, and by Saturday, I'm in full worship to something else. same thing with people children of Israel. He delayed. So they needed to find something to worship. They were just a little more overt about it. They literally said, Aaron, give us something to worship. We probably would not admit that out loud. We have a little more self-control than that. We're a little more, more uh, covert in our idol worship. But our choices as we go through the week begin to slide further away from the cross. Look at some modern-day idols. i going to try to channel my best version of my inner carrot top. Come on, Dan, I thought you might like that one. You're the only one that gets that reference. All right, what well, are some things that uh, I can worship and today? Because, we know, we don't get trinkets, and we don't have necessarily... Uh, little Buddha statues, but here's one thing I can worship. Oh yeah, looking good. Got a bloodshot eye because I took a rock to the eye yesterday when I was weed whacking. Didn't have on my safety goggles. But boy, I am sure going to, never going to say I worship this, but you know what? All of my attention, all everything I do is really to serve this guy. pretty selfish, self-seeking, self-serving, and all my decisions. It Really, I'm not going to do it unless I get something good out of it. So uh, don't even really bother asking me to do something for you, because if it doesn't benefit me or if I don't look good, forget it. It's not happening. Idol of self. Speaking of self, uh Tell you what, I'm pretty educated. My accomplishments in life—I got a good job, and you know, I make a lot of money. And you should really be impressed by that. And I know I am. I'm impressed by myself. So, uh, um, you know, I'm going to talk about it a lot, and I'm going to focus on it a lot, and I'm going to be so driven to make sure that I accomplish the next feat because my career is everything I had, because when I am successful, then people look up to me, and they'll think that I'm something special, because really, I'm empty inside, and I need other people to tell me I'm special, so I'm going to hide behind my degrees and my accomplishments and my title, because this is what I feel like defines me more than anything. Hmm. Speaking of my accomplishments, have you seen how big my house is? I am the envy of the neighborhood. I have the biggest house in the neighborhood. It's the nicest. Everybody can come over and tell me how awesome it is. Before I had this really beautiful blue, gray, and white house, I felt like that, can you tell who, who designed this one? I felt like I was incomplete, but now that I had this big house, I'm awesome. And I worked and worked and worked until I got this house. Now that I got it, I kind of drive around in other neighborhoods to see if I can find a bigger one. Hmm. What else I got in here? My idol idol worship. Oh, look at my car. sweet. (laughs) See, not too many people will see my house, so I'm going to make sure that I drive a really nice car, because that's when they're going to see me. I'm driving down the road, people will turn their heads and look, or when I pull up somewhere where I'm seeing a bunch of people, make sure that I have the sweet ride, so that everybody notices, and they think. And I give off the personification that, oh, that guy's got it all together. That guy makes a lot of money. That guy... You got it. I've arrived. Literally, as I pulled up. (laughs) So I'm going to work. I'm going to focus. I'm going to say all my attention is working toward the purchase of this so that others will feel like I have arrived. Now, let me preface before I keep going on all these things. None of these things in and of themselves are a problem having a nice home and driving a nice car, having degrees, accomplishments, titles, whatever. That's not, but is your focus... Is this taken away? Let's read this definition again. Does it take anything that is more important to you than God? Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God? Anything you seek to give you what only God can give? Is having this car going to make you feel more complete? You think it does, but as soon as you get it and you drive it for six months, you're gonna realize it's just got four wheels and a steering wheel. That's what you're gonna realize. And then all of a sudden, you ever seen that, that one video where it talks about the guy who is sitting there, and uh, um, I don't remember all of them, but the point is, is that there's a guy in this really nice car, and he sees another nicer car come pulling up, and he's like, oh, I wish I had that car. And then the guy in the really fancy car looks and he sees a guy flying in a helicopter, I wish I had a helicopter. Anyways, it works its way backwards to a guy who ultimately is in a wheelchair. And here these people are talking about how they want a nicer, a nicer, nicer, and he was envious of the guy who was walking down the street. So the point is, no matter how much you achieve and how much you amass to yourself, this will never satisfy. Only the Lord can. job. My job defines me. Everything I do, all my focus, all my attention is, anytime I sit idle, the first thing I do, it goes to my work and the things that I have to do and the things I need to accomplish. Because, and the guys do this all the time. I don't know if girls do, but guys do this all the time. And I, I really try to avoid it. So if you're ever in a social situation where you don't know what people do for a living... That's one of the things that guys will do in their conversations. So what do you do for a living? Right? It's kind of like a thing to talk about, but in the same token, the underlying thing is it's a measure up. It's a measure up. What do you do? I, I mean, real talk, just being transparent. I did it yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. And I didn't even knew what I was supposed to talk about. So one of my players came over to my house for my basketball team, and he and his dad pulled up and gave me a gift thank you gift not the point of the story but he pulled up in a convertible Porsche so I said nice I like that so the first thing I thought was wonder what he does for a living so what did I do text one of my buddies one of the other dads hey what does this guy do for a living (laughs) measuring him up (laughs) start a software company that little thing Hmm. I got to have, I have to have the next thing, the next piece of technology. I have the most up-to-date iPad, but there's been one that came out five minutes ago. I have to have that one. This one's not even good anymore. If this wasn't my son's, I'd throw it. This one, he got it for school. It's a school issue. Uh, if I have to have it, otherwise it's no good. Because the thing that I have, I've had for a week, it's old now. I have to have the next, the next the next. This is my idol. Everything I do, all my focus, all my attention is given to my kids. I clothe them, I feed them, I house them, I protect them. Notice the word I just kept on saying? I, 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 I provide for them. I'm their source. I, I, I. Where's the room for the Lord in that? We can get out of balance. This is very easy to do. Because not only are we created as worshipers, but we are we as a parent. There's something. There's a switch that changes. There's a guy in my office is, they're in their late 30s and they're pregnant for the first time, and he's like, man, something's just changed. in me. Mean, his wife is like 20 weeks pregnant. I said, just wait till you hold them for the first time. So that's natural. God has given us that desire to protect our children. However, in the same token, we also have to realize they are not ours, they're His. So we can get out of balance in our protection and provision and even get to the point where we are idolizing these guys because we are where our attention is, where our passion is, our thoughts. Everything we're thinking about is right in here. Same thing with our spouse. We can be out of line. We can have our priorities. If we are putting our spouse over our relationship with the Lord, out of line. If we are look, Here's a big one. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. If we are looking for something in our spouse, our fulfillment, making us whole, making us feel loved. If we are seeking for that in our spouse, they will fail us every time. That fulfillment and that wholeness can only come from the Lord. We have to guard ourselves against This is a real tough one. I mean, we We're supposed to cherish and honor our spouse, absolutely. But if we're seeking for things that only the Lord can provide in our spouse, out of line. Oh, my parents. My parents are really good people. I really idolize them. I look up to them. We can be out of line. My pastor. My pastor, I, I really revere him. I look to him for all of my strength. I look for him. For everything that I know about Scripture, I look to him. That's a problem. It's a fine line between honoring the man of God and crossing a line and placing him above the Lord. We have to guard against that. Be careful. I have to have the most, most recent gaming console. I only have three of them. I need one more. Got to have it. Why? Because it just came out. Got to have it. Got to have it. Got to make sure that, that my kids are in, in the best sports. Because you know they're going to play college. Whatever. Right? I have to make sure. I have to put them in all the camps. I have to send them to the best whatevers. I have to, have to make sure they play travel. They have to do all these things. And trust me, I'm speaking to myself too. I'm speaking to myself, too. I have to make sure they have the the best bat. I have to make sure they have the best rebounding machine so that it can kick the ball back out to them. The Lord knows they can't go pick up their own rebound. (laughs) Why do you make it? Then there's no rebound. You're that good of a shooter. I have to. I have to amass these things because... I'm saving myself money. I'm spending money right now. I'm spending all my weekends running around because I'm going to eventually, going to play, they're going to play college sports. That's, think of all the money I'm going to save. There's a lady I was talking to a few weeks back. I think, it, forgive me if I told this story, but it bears repeating. Her son went to, got a full ride scholarship to Central Michigan this past fall, baseball scholarship. He's played baseball since he was four years old, year round. Specialized at like the age of eleven. Specialized means you don't play anything else but that, baseball, baseball, baseball. Summer league. Went in the winter. He was in the in the uh, domes hitting and going into different things. All these different things. Got to Central. Played fall ball. Okay, it's not even the real season. In college baseball, just like in the Tigers, most people know that it's in the spring and summer, right? Played fall ball at Central. Came home at Christmas and said, "Mom, I'm dropping out of school. I hate baseball." But we focus all of our attention. We got to, we got to, we got to, we got to, got to make sure that they're, and it's not just sports. We got to make sure they're in the piano. We got to make sure they're in the drama club. We got to make sure they're in robotics. Got to make sure, got to make sure they're all in this, all these different things. And that's why we said, "How's everything going?" What's our number one response? busy 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 to the point where our busy life becomes our idol why because it puts in place of god that's exactly one of the lies of the, there's two lies of the enemy that he loves one there's time put it off there's time you got time and two you need to get involved you need to be more busy you need to do this you need to do this more and more things do more, do more, do more. Then all of a sudden we wake up, we find ourselves got a schedule, our calendar is full and we don't have any time for the Lord. We don't have any time for our family. we are all busy running around taking CJ to tournaments but the two littles are sitting on the sideline. I'm not spending any time with them. Busyness. Got to have the next watch. Got to have the next one because I, I only have three watches, so I got to have another one. Oh, here's an easy one. Oh, I got to have more money. Got to have more money. I don't have enough. If I only had more money, I could give to the ministry. Lord, bless me. I'll give to the ministry. You aren't giving to the ministry now. So why would you give when you had more? You want to know? Money will do two things it'll expose your character and it'll expose your motivation. So if you don't have a lot, you might want to look at those two things. Because maybe the Lord can't trust you with some. Just saying. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe he's wanting us to trust him. But I swear, if I, if I won the lottery, I would, I would buy everybody a house in the church. Lord, just give me the lottery. I'll do it. I know I will. Oh, I've got to make sure that my kids... Oh, this isn't about me. My kids have the best of the, this. They have the best pants. They have the best shoes. They have the best, whatever, outfits. Because if you look into my heart of hearts, if they look good, that makes me look good. That makes me look good. I got a lot. And I'm providing for them. So once again, it's about me. Oh, man, this is. name. Our 15-year-old son said to us just yesterday, you guys care about more how I look than I do. Ouch. idols. In closing, I want to read this definition one more time because it bears repeating. What is an idol? Anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you, what only God can give. It is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I feel my life has meaning. And then I'll know I have value. Whoa. You hear these words? We're we're placing our meaning and our value in these things that are going to burn up. That I'll feel significant and secure. There's the lie of the enemy right there. One of our basic needs, Josh mentioned it a few weeks back, in the hierarchy of needs, one of our needs that we have is to be secure. But if I have that, then I'll be secure. An idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. So Let's stand. He shall be holy unto me, for I, I the Lord, am holy. He shall be holy be unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from all the people that you. Should be mine and severed you from all people, that you should be mine. I want you to consider. And I trust that the Holy Spirit is speaking to something in your life, and placing his finger on it and saying, This is something that you feel like gives you significance. This is something, this is the one thing right here that if you were to lose that thing then you really would feel like, wow, I have no way to continue going on. And if that one essential thing is in Jesus Christ, Lord forgive us. So, Father, we just ask in the, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, convict our hearts. And, Lord, just even throughout the week, Lord, that you would just deal with us, that you would show us things that are not of you. Things that we maybe unknowingly, unwittingly, we didn't, it was unintentional that we have placed above you just in the busyness of life. So, Lord, forgive us for doing that. Lord, we ask that you would just point those things out and that we would see that our fulfillment, our significance, our security is only in you. We're grateful for this reminder today. So grateful. We're grateful for your love. We thank you that you love us enough to point these things out to yes. us. Lord, you haven't left us alone. Lord, yes. you see us where we are. Know that we need to hear these things. We thank you for all these things and that Jesus... In the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.